new time, 9 o'clock Eastern, 6 o'clock on the West Coast. Welcome to Greg Kelly Reports, and I'm very excited. Some folks, let's face it, they go to sleep before 10 o'clock, and I think this could get a lot more eyeballs on our program, which we are very, very proud of. And for you uh, late-night owls, please stick around for The Right Squad with Chris Plant. It's a fabulous show right after this one. So as we start our new season at 9 o'clock, I thought I would start out by telling you a little bit, basically, the, the founding principles of this show. And they're tightly aligned with the founding principles of this country. Number one, our founding fathers, I believe, and I'm not alone here, they were divinely selected almost, right? That all of those great men would have been alive at that time in the history of the world coming together to build the United States Constitution, the greatest document short of the Bible in existence, in my opinion. Yes, I do love our country. I love our history. I was excited. Were you? Do you remember the 1976 bicentennial? I was uh, what, six, seven years old. It was awesome. And America was into it. Everybody, we had a culture, we had a country, and we came together as kids, big time. Kids, we dressed up as Minutemen. There I am on the left, my brother's on the right. We were Minutemen from the Revolutionary War, marching in the July 4th parade. We went to see the Liberty Bell back when they actually let you touch it. And we explored Independence Hall, and we did all those things that, quite frankly, Americans used to do before this toxic and false notion that America is fundamentally a racist country. Hey, and growing up, I knew about the Civil War. You knew about the Civil War. We all learned about the horrors of slavery. I remember vividly in first grade learning about slavery. And wow, Thomas Jefferson did that? Wow, but he was great. Yeah, he was great, but he did something bad. And like, it was all part of the package. And we still loved America, America, a beautiful place, right? Not lately, not lately. How far we have fallen, I think is exemplified by this moment, a side-by-side, John F. Kennedy and Joe Biden, okay? What was John F. Kennedy talking about in 1962? I believe that this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the earth. Make that 1961, by the way. And we did. Man on the moon, July 20th, 1969. I mean, America did that. The envy of the world. Fast forward, and President Joe Biden is in office at that same podium, in that same hall, but a totally different man. I said last year, especially to our younger transgender Americans, I'll always have your back as your president so you can be yourself and reach your God-given potential. This is so ludicrously outside of his area of responsibility, his job description. You know what that's code for, right? What he's saying there, backing up transgender children. This is A-OK for the Democrats. Drag time story hour, which is being carried out in hundreds, thousands of school districts across the country. People dressed men, women's clothing around children. It is perverse. So we went to the moon 
1969 and today. Yeah, this is the issue. This is the issue of our time. And who are the heroes of our time? George Floyd. Now, I wish George Floyd had not died that day. I also wish he had obeyed the law. I also wish he didn't have all that fentanyl in his system. I also wish that, uh, well, he wasn't a degenerate criminal for most of his life. Yeah, George Floyd did some bad things. I know there are statues all over the place for George Floyd. Um, but if we're going to have statues, I think we need to know the whole story. In addition to this, he was an adult film star, an amateur adult film star. But, yeah, he did some porn. Um, Neither here nor there, but it's part of the story, but it's not, right? Because you can only talk about certain parts of the story, the narrative. That's a word they love. So when it comes to Black Lives Matter, you know, most people would see this. Most people before, say, the world lost its mind, would see this as a riot, not as a peaceful protest, not as some sort of righteous call for social or racial justice, whatever that is. Um, particularly powerful people, rich people. They embraced this so they could stay rich, so they could stay powerful. We, the National Football League, condemn racism and the systematic oppression of black people. That's beautiful, Roger Goodell. Um, why did you say that? Now, why did he say that? A man who was trying to get Colin Kaepernick fired at one point for taking a knee is suddenly falsely accusing America of systemic Racism. Now, why would that be? Here are a few million reasons. Roger Goodell, commissioner of the National Football League, $200 million, $64 million a year salary, at least $200 million. He's pushing billionaire status, right? This is insane, but it keeps them in power and it keeps them rich. But what does it do to the rest of us? Who likes Oreo cookies? What's to not like about Oreo cookies, right? So not controversial, so not anything but a cookie uh, until 10 minutes ago. Yeah, believe it or not, this is an Oreo commercial. Apparently the kid's gay. That's fine, whatever. And somehow Oreos fits in the picture. I really had a hard time getting my head around this one. Yeah, it's a Nabisco ad. Watch. No cookies, no milk, no cookie monster, no double stuff cookies. Just weird staring and nothing. Nothing. Now show me the cookie, please. Well, they got to show you a special type of cookie. Yeah, the rainbow cookie, right? I mean... This is insane. This isn't even, I mean, it doesn't even make you want to eat Oreo cookies. Talk about the cookie. What are we supposed to do with this, right? Regular people, not Roger Goodell, not Beyonce. What about just people with jobs who'd like to keep those jobs? Well, we're not going to find out the truth by listening to mainstream media. They could care less. They're holding on by a, by a thread. All they want is to keep those crummy jobs and they'll do, say, and not report whatever it takes to keep those crummy jobs that are hanging on by a thread. They'll even do things like this. I want to be clear in how I characterize this. This is a, mostly a protest. Uh, it, is not, uh, it is not, generally speaking, unruly. 
I'd love to find that guy back when he was like 22. You know, why do you want to go into journalism, right? Do you want to go into it to find out what's going on and maybe tell people about what's going on? That is, I don't know, the, the Rosetta Stone of fake news right there. In possible second place, or maybe this is even better, you know, this whole Karen craze? You must cancel white women who dare stand up for themselves. This St. Louis resident, she lived in an apartment building, and she did what the apartment rules say you're supposed to do. Don't let anybody in the building without a key. There's no doorman there. You have to have a key or a key fob. She goes in. There's some character she's never seen before. He wants to walk in right behind her. I've heard of women being sexually assaulted, a similar M.O. What does she do? She sticks up for herself. Excuse me. No. You don't have a key fob. You are... No. 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 If you have that, then okay. Ma'am, you're not security. You're not the property manager. You're not no, my car. No, but I live here. All right. So you see what happened there. Um, a minor dispute between two people. Now, she happens to be a white woman. He happens to be a black male. It goes nuclear. A confrontation caught on video, a white woman blocking a black tenant from entering their apartment building, demanding proof that he lives there. This man holds a job, one of the major network evening news programs. Walter Cronkite used to have this job <laughs> talking about the space program. Peter Jennings talking about the Berlin Wall falling down. And this guy's talking about a white woman getting into an argument. So that institution, that industry, we can trust. Maybe we have the military, right? We can trust the military, can't we? I want to understand white rage, and I'm white, and I want to understand it. Yeah, no, unfortunately, they've gone. We haven't won a war since World War II. We support the men and women, the fighting men and women, but we have serious problems. That the military could produce a political animal like this, who appears with a commander-in-chief. I call him Mark Mutiny Millie. He walks across the street with President Trump. Remember that? There he is in the back. So what? So what? I think this was part of a coup. Listen to what he said about this appearance. As many of you saw the result of the photograph of me at Lafayette Square last week, that sparked a national debate about the role of the military in civil society. I should not have been there. Wow. He apologizes up and down. Was this done to undermine our democracy? I think it was. I think it was. I know it undermined our military. I know it undermined his time, spending all this time virtue signaling, not planning for the withdrawal from Afghanistan, which happened a year later. And you know what, how it went down. The catastrophe, the avoidable catastrophe, and now the Taliban is in charge. We really are a country in a total freefall, and it's very, very dangerous out there. Dangerous physically. It's dangerous to men. <laughs> men, be careful. After Christine Blasey Ford came forward without a shred of evidence to back up her outrageous claims and the entire country stopped and listened to this obvious Democrat prop, yet no one paid a damn lick of attention to Tara Reid. Tara Reid, she was able to document that she worked on then-Senator Joe Biden's staff in the early 1990s. She claims that she was sexually assaulted by Joe Biden. You can find her on a podcast, but she was never, 
invited to testify on Capitol Hill. There are so many really horrible things happening in this country, and I do believe one great hope we have is Donald Trump. You know, when he came down that escalator, I, well, I actually take pride in this. I happened to be in the room. It was kind of a fluke, but I was in the room. And, well, you remember what he said, right? It really spoke to me. Our country is in serious trouble. We don't have victories anymore. We used to have victories, but we don't have them. It hit me right here, and I, I was watching it in person. That's me. You may notice my, yeah, I know that. That's, that's my hairline, all right. That's me standing. And after it was over, and only because I was there and because, well, compared to other people in the media, I hadn't actually been in the media that long. I spent my entire 20s and early part of my 30s in the military, not running around with a microphone. And I could listen and I could take him seriously and not literally. This is my reaction um, moments after the speech. I think he might be a game changer in this race. Listen to that speech. It's going to go over well uh, in certain precincts in Iowa, New Hampshire. This is a big deal. This is not a joke. The establishment media did not give him one chance, not one chance. I knew he could win, not because I'm brilliant or some sort of political prognosticator, but I don't know. I didn't grow up in the media and spent a lot of time in the military, moving all around the country and listening. And I spent enough time in Iraq to know that Donald Trump was absolutely right. And finally, somebody said it. Obviously, the war in Iraq was a big, fat mistake. All right. Now, you can take it any way you want. And it took Je it took Jeb Bush. If you remember at the beginning of his announcement, when he announced for president, took him five days. He went back. It was a mistake. It wasn't a mistake. Took him five days before his people told him what to say. And he ultimately said it was a mistake. The war in Iraq, we spent $2 trillion, thousands of lives. We don't even have it. Iran is taking over Iraq with the second largest oil reserves in the world. Obviously, it was a mistake. So George Bush made a mistake. We so, can make mistakes, but that one was a beauty. We should have never been in Iraq. We have destabilized right. the Middle East. There was never a doubt of who I was going to vote for after that moment. After that moment, I knew this was the guy. And unlike anybody else on that stage or just about anybody else, not everybody, but most, they go into politics to be something and to get stuff, money and power. But this guy, I think this is John Voigt, narrated the RNC convention. Listen to this. For money or power or fame, he had all that. Money or power or fame, he had all of that. Joe Biden, the rest of them, they went in to get that. And Donald Trump actually fought for us, fighting for you, fighting for somebody. We saw it every day when he was president. We saw what he was up against. You ever hear another politician say it, right? When they say it, are they telling the truth? No, they're reading from some old campaign manager's playbook. What I'll do as president what Donald Trump hasn't. I'll fight for you. I will fight for you. I want to fight for you. I know you, and I will fight for you. I will fight for you. I will be a senator who will fight for you. Yeah, they didn't mean it. Donald Trump actually meant it. <laughs> Maybe that's part of the problem, right? You're not. That's just a bunch of garbage you say on the campaign trail. Then you go to Washington to get fat and lazy and dumb. 
Who remembers the movie Rocky, right? Sylvester Stallone, one of the greatest movies ever. Remember when Rocky punches out Apollo Creed in the first round? Yeah. And then Apollo, he gets a little pep talk from his, uh, his ring man there. What does he say? He doesn't know it's a damn show. He thinks it's a damn fight. It's kind of like President Trump. President Trump really went there to do things. He thought it was a fight to get things done for the people, not a show just to enrich themselves. I think that works. And, you know, I was in high school when when this happened, and I thought, this guy's a joke. I knew at 17, this guy is crazy. Do you feel you're able to control, to put in the vernacular of your mouth, that you can think before you talk? Well, I've been in this business for 15 years. Um, and uh, I, uh, um, I let my record of 15 years versus the transgression that you're referring to uh, stand and you can make you all can make that judgment i feel very capable of uh using my mouth and sync with my mind oh my goodness jack nicholson anybody notice how he called it a business a bit i've been in this business for 15 years this is right around the time everybody found out he was a plagiarist and a serial liar he had a dropout but somehow he has come back and when you make a serial liar president Nothing matters. And they'll come out and say stuff like this. Today, on this January day, my whole soul is in this. Bringing America together, uniting our people, uniting our nation. Nice line, but he didn't mean it, which kind of indicates maybe he has no soul. He's done nothing to unify this country. Nothing. And three easy things he could have done right there. Number one, call off this phony impeachment of Donald Trump. Number two, get big tech off the backs of conservatives. And number three, maybe go easy, all right, on the January 6th prisoners, at least the ones who didn't hurt anybody and didn't break anything. And there are a lot of people in jail who didn't hurt anybody, didn't break anything. What's his prime directive? I think it's covering up all the enrichment he's done over the years and hooking up Hunter. It might just be that simple. And I have something to say about January 6th. Yeah, it was a bad day, but uh, the prosecution and the persecution and the pretext that day has been exploited so heavily by, by the left, by the media. Enrique Tarrio is facing 22 years in jail. He was falsely called a white supremacist. He's Afro-Cuban. He didn't hurt anybody. He didn't break anything. Something is very, very wrong. I'll have more when we come back. Many thanks. You're watching Greg Kelly at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. January 6th was a terrible day, and anyone who hurt somebody or damaged property should be punished. As I mentioned, there are a lot of people who didn't hurt anybody and didn't break anything who are being punished. And it's amazing to think that America endured, I think, a grand total of four weeks of live special televised hearing, both during the day and at night, special primetime hearings. And some basic questions weren't answered. They weren't even asked. Number one, why were certain cops actually waving people up onto the Capitol? What was that all about? That makes no sense. Or does it? Why were certain police officers just standing there? Just standing there as crowds came in. 
This has never been explained. Not by the January 6th report, not by that January 6th committee, certainly not by the media. And Ashley Babbitt. And in the moments just prior to her being shot, uh, well, uh, these officers kind of just walked out of the way. I don't know why that happened. Um, they walk away, and moments later, Ashley Babbitt is shot. Where are they going? I mean, it was a tense situation, but they weren't being harmed. And then all hell breaks loose, and a gun is about to emerge that Officer Bird is holding, who was recently promoted, by the way, and it shot Ashley Babbitt. He shot Ashley Babbitt. There she is in the background. She's about to jump through that window, or we're not actually sure because the questions haven't been adequately answered. We'll stop it right there. Ashley Babbitt died on that day. She's an, she was unarmed. Nobody said she had a weapon with her. There's no proof that she broke into the Capitol. There's no proof that she harmed anyone. There's no proof that she hurt anybody. I mean, these questions have to be asked. You can't get us the answers. I guess I'm going to have to live with that. But can't we ask the questions? And Enrique Tario was just sentenced to 22 years in prison. You know, the white supremacist, right? The Afro-Cuban white supremacist. It is a farce what they have said about him and the others. That is not a white supremacy organization. They have been so lied about and maligned because the media are lazy and often evil. He didn't hurt anybody. The case is complicated. It went on for a long time. I didn't look through all the evidence, but I know they didn't either. And I think he got a bum raw deal. We'll see. And President Trump has said he wants to look into pardoning some of these people. He'll look into it. And I think that must happen. One of Enrique Tarrio's problems, well, he's identified as conservative, right-wing. But if you're a leftist, have at it. Interrupt any hearing you want. This is what they call obstructing a government proceeding. Yeah? What did they get? Some of them didn't even get a parking ticket. Some of them didn't even get... They weren't handcuffed. They were just... Please leave. Yeah, they, they seriously interrupted government proceedings. These people went a little bit overboard. Check this out. I mean, this looks downright dangerous. Is this an insurrection? Arguably so. Arguably so. We'll be right back. You know, everybody's reporting the same stories, the same spin. You turn the channel, it's always the same. But not us, we're different. We report the real news. No spin, just the facts. Turn to us and you won't turn back. Tune in to Rob Schmidt tonight on Newsmax. At the end of this calendar year, Joe Biden announces that he's not going to seek a second term. Based on all your reporting, how much of a surprise will that be to you? I would say it would it would be a small it would be a surprise to me, I mean, but it wouldn't be a total surprise. Wouldn't to be me. a total shock. It wouldn't be a total shock. <laughs> I would not be surprised in the slightest. I'm not going to be shocked. I'm not going to be surprised. I basically feel like I know that's going to happen. However, let's bring in a real expert. You've heard of these great books, haven't you? Red-handed, uh, How America's Elites Get Rich by Helping China, and also uh, another fabulous one, Profiles in Corruption, uh, Abuse of Power by America's Progressive Elite. Uh, written by Peter Schweitzer. He's the president of the Government Accountability Institute. He's been all over Democrat and Biden corruption from the very early stages. Peter, welcome back. How are you? 
I'm great, Greg. Good to be with you always, my friend. Thanks for having me. Uh, thank you. And you heard what he just said. I, I There's a growing kind of sense that he's going to have to pull out. What are you hearing and what significance do you assign what that man just said, who's a bit of a, you know, a, a media favorite? Oh, yeah. No. And I mean, look, he had access as a biographer of Biden. He had access to the White House uh, and he's certainly a Democratic insider. Uh, and, and I would say, look, I'm terrible at political predictions, so I'm not going to predict anything. Uh, but I think there are all kinds of interesting signs that demonstrate that Joe Biden may potentially bow out. Uh, part of that, I think, is related to, you know, the polling numbers and the very real concerns about his health. Uh, but there's also the growing uh, scandals involving the family, more revelations to come. The fact that we're going to probably have an impeachment inquiry, which gives them more broad powers. Um, there are a lot of reasons for Joe Biden uh, to basically say, look, I'm not going to run for election. I'm going to serve out my term and I'm going to move on. So Democrats, they're in denial about the corruption, um, alleged corruption, at least publicly. The media, they will not do their job. But, you know, when the cameras aren't rolling, when they're talking amongst themselves and you, you know, the mainstream reporters reach out to you, do they know in their heart of hearts that this guy is compromised? Uh, I know a lot of the reporters that I talk to at, at the major newspapers and networks, I mean, they will tell you that they know this is an absolute problem. Um, the difficulty is that Basically, the management of a lot of these news corporations have decided that um, Donald Trump is a, quote unquote, existential threat to American democracy. Uh, and therefore, that justifies them doing everything they can to essentially prop up his political opponent, which is Joe Biden. I don't think that's going to change. But on the other hand, Greg, I got to tell you, you look at the polling, the polling of uh, the Harvard-Harris poll, which is hardly a conservative pollster, showing a, a solid 60 percent of Americans, including 58 percent of independents, believe that Joe Biden was involved in corruption that benefited his family financially. Uh, those are not good numbers. Uh, back in 2020, uh, uh, outside of people that read my books and read the New York Post and listened to your program, very few people knew about that corruption. That is starting to change. And at some point, the media is going to have to decide, do they want to further trash their brands, which are already down in the teens as far as polling, showing uh, confidence in them? Do they want to further trash them and, and continue to cling to Joe Biden? Or do they want to actually come out and report this stuff? And I think they're getting very close uh, to that point, that this is a lost leader for them uh, and they need to move on. How uh, surprised were you that Hunter Biden was? We all knew about the trip to China, which was highly problematic, to say the least, and getting off of Air Force Two. But I think you've seen this compilation by now of Hunter Biden discreetly flying on Air Force Two. There he is getting off the plane. Everything's fine. Uh, I think he's with one of his granddaughters. Hunter <laughs> is literally waiting in the wings, uh, waiting in the car. He did this in South Korea. And we'll see Hunter right there. Uh, Italy, Germany, I believe Ukraine as well. Hunter not getting off the plane with his father. I mean, this is a huge problem. And it shows to me that they've been doing this thing all along. I mean, what do you make of the, this uh, compilation? No, I, I think you're right, Greg. I mean, look, the, the fundamental question when it comes to the, the fact that he's going on Air Force Two and in some cases going out the back door, clearly not wanting people to know 
the media to know, the public to know that he's hitching a ride. There's that deception. There are these pseudonyms that, that Joe Biden is using. Uh, there's the fact that they've set up all these LLCs through which to funnel money. You'll notice that usually the money doesn't go directly to Hunter. It goes to a business partner who then sends it to, to a Hunter. Why the need to deceive and hide if all this stuff is above board? I think they know what it would look like if Hunter got off the plane and was demonstrably there every single time people saw it. People would know it was a problem, so they try to conceal it and hide it. Um, and I think that, along with the question that the Bidens have never been able to answer, which is, what exactly was Hunter's business? What was he doing? Why were these Chinese entities sending him tens of millions of dollars? What were the Ukrainians expecting in return? We now know the answer to some of that, but they've never been questioned on that, and I think they don't have a good answer, and that's not a question they even want to address. So it's things are going to get a lot tougher for the Bidens. They're not going to get easier on these questions. And finally, just a couple of seconds left. Is Barack Obama really running the country? Maybe not. Ten I mean, my sense is, my strong sense is that he has a heck of a lot of influence, and he's actually pulling the strings. What do you make? Well, you've got the biographer, Mr. Guerra, who wrote a, uh, a very definitive biography on Barack Obama's younger years, saying that there are people from the White House going in and out of Barack Obama's home in Washington, D.C., on a regular basis. He certainly thinks he's pulling strings, and I think he's probably got pretty good reasons to believe that that's exactly the case. Peter Schweitzer, thank you very much. You know, I read Profiles in Courage uh, the day before. It was just a coincidence. Kamala Harris was nominated, and I was so ready uh, for that uh, for that moment, thanks to your book. I recommend it to everybody. Profiles in Courage, you also got to check out Red Handed, and please go to peterschweitzer.com. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Greg. All right, we'll be right back. It is completely irresponsible. It compromises national security, it compromises global security, and it creates all this chaos. This is infecting the readiness of three of, of our four main branches of government. This is legislative terrorism, okay? This guy, Tuberville, one senator, is endangering the national security of our country and our allies for ideological reasons. He is putting people in positions where they can die. They're all wrong. They're all hysterical, exaggerating like crazy. In my opinion, Senator Tommy Tuberville, Republican of Alabama, is doing the exact right thing. Telling the Pentagon, civilians, civilians are in charge. And if the military wants to go into the abortion providing business, we got a problem. Senator Tuberville, welcome back to Newsmax. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Well, the pressure is uh, mounting. You know, you hear what they said uh, every day. Oh, the service secretaries have come out. I hope you're not wavering because this is not affecting readiness. That's uh, an exact. They're lying, quite frankly, or they're ignorant. How do you feel about the campaign? And tell us a little bit about it. Well, first of all, they don't know what pressure is. Try coaching in the SEC. Uh, but, you know, the. The thing that, that gets me is you got all these pundits on television. I don't watch them, but I just saw a few of them uh, as, as, we're, as we're starting this hit. 
uh, they don't know what they're talking about. Uh, I've talked to generals and admirals every day. There's no problem with readiness. There's none of these jobs that are unfilled. Uh, this is my prerogative to be able to put a hold on anything. Now, I'm not holding up nominations. Uh, Chuck Schumer can bring them to the floor one at a time uh, as quick and as fast as he wants to, but he won't do it because he that's an admittance of being wrong. And so I'm not changed my mind. I mean, I'm doing this for the right reasons. I'm tired of Pinocchio Joe legislating from the White House. They're not going to do that on my watch. The people of Alabama have somebody up here that's going to vote for them. And if we're going to have some kind of different uh, abortion policy in the military, it's going to take a vote on the Senate floor. And if we don't do that, I'm going to have these holes uh, for a long, long time. And let's put up the Pentagon policy or the new practice. Okay, we all know Roe v. Wade went away, the court, and, um, well, this is what the, this is kind of like their, their workaround. Uh, the Pentagon granting administrative absence to uh, sailors, soldiers, Marines um, for an abortion, travel allowance, transportation allowance. Um, this is, I mean, in a way, you could argue that this is encouraging service members to have an abortion. How would you characterize what, what they're granting here? Well, exactly. Greg, we had a briefing uh, for my behalf, by the way, from the Armed Services Committee uh, about uh, two or three months ago. And they brought all of these experts in basically uh, telling us why they needed to do this. It was for readiness and it was for recruiting, which was a crock of crap, to be honest with you. I asked them if there was anybody complained about it since uh, for the last 35 years. They said no. I said, well, that's funny. Why would you change something nobody's complaining about? Uh, but they did it anyway, and, and they're trying to hide when they can do an abortion now. It used to be for the three exceptions on the old policy. Now it's abortion at any time. Uh, that's not what the people of this country uh, expect. And so 60 uh, percent of the people of this country, Greg, say that we should not spend one dime of taxpayer money towards abortion. And so that's the Democrats and Republicans. So I'm fighting for both sides here. Uh, again, if I was affecting the military of the United States of America, which I respect and which I love and which I believe in, I wouldn't be doing this. But it is not affecting it. It's a bunch of pundits out there thinking that they know what's going on and they don't. And so there's no way they're going to talk me out of this. We're going to have holes for a long, long time uh, and uh, they can just get used to it. So they're going up to Capitol Hill and trying to basically snow you guys. What does it say about military leadership overall? And like you, we love the military, but sometimes to make general or admiral, you got to be very, very political. And you highlighted this a few months back, LGBTQ spoken word night on an aircraft carrier. And having been on an aircraft carrier, I can tell you uh, <laughs> this is about as remote and foreign a thing, a concept. It has absolutely nothing to do with readiness. Talk about readiness. You had an exchange with Admiral Gildy about this um, spoken word night, and um, we have the clip ready. Go ahead. I have a lot of problems with this video. This non-binary officer said the highlight of a deployment on the USS Gerald Ford was reading a poem to the entire ship. Admiral Gilday, have you seen this video? I have. I hope we train our officers to prioritize their sailors, not themselves. Did it surprise you that a junior officer says the highlight of her deployment, her first and the ship's first, was about herself and her own achievement? 
I, I'll tell you why um, I'm particularly proud of this sailor. That's the chief of naval operations. And I know the family, whatever, relatives served in the military. But to not blow up something like LGBTQ spoken word night, which has no place anywhere, neither does straight white male spoken word night have any place in the military. Um, I don't know. I'm not surprised that we lost in Afghanistan when you got leaders like this walking around, sir. Rick, we hadn't won a war since World War II. You got to remember that. And we've, we've tried to fight a lot of wars. Uh, the, the problem I'm having now is we're becoming more and more woke every day. And it started under Obama. Uh, he put a lot of people in the upper echelon parts of the military that uh, that overtaken uh, and, you know, the the readiness of what we're doing in terms of rules and regulations. And it's it's just it's sad to see this happen. Let me tell you, if if we lose, Greg, the military that we all believe in, if we lose that, uh, we're in huge trouble and we're headed in that direction because the problem we're having right now with readiness is not coming from anything other than all these vote policies that they're pushing. This is yeah. our military is not an equal opportunity employer. We want the best of the best pilots, uh, generals, admirals, people that believe in this country that will fight to the end for this country. But we're getting a lot of people up there that could care less about this country. They care more about their politics. Senator Tommy Tuberville, keep up the fight. Thank you very much. Republican of Alabama. And we'll be right back. The 25th Amendment is of zero risk to me, but will come back to haunt Joe Biden and the Biden administration. As the expression goes, be careful what you wish for. Wow. So prescient of President Trump talking about Joe Biden three years ago. 36% of the voters believe he's not up to doing the job as president. And under the 25th Amendment, a president can be removed from office if deemed unfit. But you got to have a lot of people on board, two-thirds of Congress. Dr. Frank Contessa joins us. He's a board-certified internist. Uh, and you've been watching Joe Biden very closely. Hey, first of all, welcome to Newsmax. How are you, sir? I'm well, Greg. Thanks for having me tonight. If he was a patient of yours, let's try to forget he's the president of the United States. You've seen Joe Biden walk around, have problems. Uh, what would you say? What would you say to him? What kind of should he be working full time? Well, I'll tell you, so we've all been watching sort of a steady decline um, in the capacity of the president. And we can go back just a couple of years, even just to the last campaign and compare videos of him then to now. And we see a big change. Um, he's forgetful. He's having a hard time getting through uh, a teleprompter speech. He's shaking hands with people that aren't there. He's stuck with stumbles. All the stuff that we're typically have been seeing and that we're all watching is getting worse. So I, what I see is what used to be an occasional gaffe is now a daily occurrence. And there's another change that I'm starting to detect as well. So other than the sort of absent-mindedness and the, and the sort of things that we've been used to seeing in, in the recent months, the last week or a couple of weeks, I'm starting to see something different. And what I'm starting to see is a loss of judgment. So what I mean is, if you go back and see comments that he made uh, to the people in Hawaii or talking about East Palestine, he was asked over the weekend, how come you haven't been to East Palestine? Oh, we haven't gotten around to it. I've been busy. Uh, asked about, again, Maui. Uh, I have no comment on that. Or, or telling them about his Corvette and his cat to people that just lost everything. So you're talking about a, a career politician. He's been a politician for 40 years. 
And you don't have to be a professional politician to know that that's not what you say to people who just went through a tragedy. And this is this is different when I'm seeing this change just recently with some of these recent events. And that would signal a move to the next phase of dementia, that loss of judgment. It's more than just memory. Now it's judgment. All right. No, I get you. I mean, I knew he had terrible judgment regarding policy and the future of this country and all that stuff. But the judgment on the smaller things, the stuff that a politician of his. Yeah, you're not supposed to crack jokes. <laughs> I, I totally get it. So if he was an ordinary patient of yours and somehow you observed him, what would be your what would you say? You know, it's time to retire. You, you got to work part time. You need this medication. Uh, what would you say to him? So, you know, this is a conversation that you typically bring in the patient's family and you go through their daily activities. Can they do this? Can they take care of this for themselves? And I use this analogy. You know, there's a point where you have to have a conversation about taking the car keys away because they're a danger to themselves and maybe others. And, you know, Joe Biden has the keys to the whole country and he's driving us all. And it might be time to have that conversation is he capable of doing this? I mean, there are some things to do. Actually, we've done stories about some new drugs that are on the horizon um, to help prevent the, the worsening. Uh, truthfully, I, I think he's kind of progressed to the point where I'm not sure though, that those drugs would even be useful anymore. But this is a conversation you have with a patient's family, and you try to work towards making their lives easier. They do better in routines. So the life of a president is probably the worst place for him to be you know, meetings constantly. And, and we know that he's adjusted his schedule lately. You know, he's calling a lid uh, after lunch and yeah. he's not having the, the, the volume of meetings that we would typically expect a, a, a president to have. Sure. If this goes on, he could seriously hurt himself. We just saw he took those terrible falls, a compound fracture or something like that could happen. I've been telling him for a long time to slow down, get off the bike and stop with the fake run and a lot of other things. Dr. Frank Contessa, we appreciate it so much. Follow Dr. Frank on Twitter at Dr. Frank 273 at Dr. Frank 273. Thank you, doctor. And we'll be right back. Thank you, Greg. Well, thanks for watching the show in the new time slot, 9 p.m. Eastern. So appreciate it. So proud and so grateful, really, uh, to all of you and to Newsmax. Please stay tuned for The Right Squad with my friend Chris Plant. He's great. So is the whole crew there. I'll see you tomorrow.